when God's people begin to make decisions of faith, the heavens begin to respond. When God's people begin to make decisions of faith, the heavens begin to respond. His people are directed by His Spirit in their life circumstances and in the things that they encounter. When God's people begin to make decisions of faith, the heavens begin to respond. This entire month of September, I've been saying that we are beginning to make decisions of faith, not just for salvation and baptism and rededicating our own hearts week by week, but specifically by recognizing God's portion and returning faith into our finances. People have begun to have conversations at home about their finances and matters of faith and are beginning to put it together. And I know this is happening because the heavens are beginning to respond. Things are starting to happen in the community regarding our plans for the future. Changes are taking place. And I want to encourage you with that this morning by way of giving you a quick update of something that has happened that is out of our control, that is directly impacting our hopes for being able to build next summer. And it's going to sound like a, hey, that's not an awesome thing, but I want to contextualize it with the idea that as we begin and have been making decisions of faith, God is going to direct and control. In early July, I signed a contract, a $10,000 contract with our surveying company saying, that we have a plan to develop the site at 32 School Street. It involves a wetlands permission from the town of Jewish City in Griswold. We're going to have to go through an extensive process of engineering, 10 grand, to have this site engineered, and then our company will take it and present it to the town of uh, Jewish City last Thursday, a couple days ago. It is the premier company in southeastern Connecticut for these kinds of things. They are wonderful men. And I've had lots of great conversations with them. Two weeks ago, I noticed that we were not on the agenda for last Thursday night. You have to be on the agenda three weeks ahead of time. Sent off the email. Crickets. I know it's not going to be good news when I hear that. Three days later, I get a reply. Josh, we're so sorry. Thankfully, they didn't try to blow smoke. Because that really irritated. Thankfully, they were just honest. They said, Josh, we've had a crazy summer. There are other things going on that are a lot bigger than your project, and we've had some critical staff turnover, and so our engineering department is way behind. We're not going to be able to get your permit ready for application until November. I signed a contract in early July. They had over two months to do the engineering on a plan that I presented to them almost two years ago. Those of you who don't know me, you might be surprised because I seem like such a nice guy on Sunday morning. I have a bit of a temper. <laughs> I wanted to go ballistic. I didn't. I, I, it was out of my control. I, I trust these guys. They're good guys. They come highly recommended. They do quality work. It's a good firm. They had stuff, and they, they backburnered us, and they did. And this happens in the world of construction for a number of reasons. I get it. And so about a week or so ago, I was like, Lord, what on earth are you doing? Because we were hoping to have a foundation in by Christmas, which would have set us up to be ready to potentially build next summer. Now, there's a lot of pieces that have to come together, including financial pieces. And it was going to be tight. It was an aggressive plan, but it was possible. And we were moving in that direction. When God's people begin to make decisions of faith, the heavens respond, 
and things start to happen. And we have been directed. We have been redirected. When you present a plan to the Jewish City Wetlands Commission in November, they will not make a decision for another month, which gets us into the Christmas season. They may or may not meet at that time of year, which means it might be January before we have permission at the soonest to even begin site development on 32 School Street. And folks that know construction know that that's a very challenging time of the year to build. And also building on a wet or raw or relatively uncured foundation is less than ideal. Because as the building ages, the foundation continues to settle, and now you have cracks and doors and windows start to act funny. Ideally, a foundation is poured in 2019 so that you build on it in 2020. That was the plan. It's been changed. I don't know what's going to happen next summer. We may not be ready. It, it might be all we can do to get the foundation in next summer. And I have to make a phone call this week, and I need to continue to pray through it a little bit. But I have a partnership with a team of 100 people who are supposed to build this thing for us next summer. And now I don't know that I'm going to have a foundation that's ready for that, through no fault of our own. When God's people begin to make decisions of faith, we get directed and redirected. And we can either respond in faith, understanding that the Lord has his purposes, and I don't understand all of the pieces, but here's what I know that we have a passion to proclaim the gospel in this zip code and in every part of Connecticut that the Lord would favor us to do so. And so to, to, to reconfirm that commitment, that we are going to continue to preach the gospel in every place that the Lord provides, and that the timing is going to be up to Him where that place actually is, I feel like it would be valuable to just spend a moment this morning praying that, Lord, whether we build next summer or two summers from now, or we, I don't know what's happening right now. Because the Wetlands Commission can come back and say that our plan isn't going to be approved. I have no idea. But what we're doing is we're moving forward in faith. And now we're being directed, and it's awesome. But this is what faith feels like. We see the Lord beginning to direct and shape our hope to present the gospel. And we're going to be responsive and flex with whatever the Lord has us to do. And so, um, in, in that kind of a spirit, I'd like to spend a moment and pray and recommit ourselves to proclaiming the gospel here in 06351 and everywhere the Lord will provide in the places that He provides. And I'd like to, Seth, I'd like to ask you to pray that prayer for us. Seth is a longtime resident in Jewett City. He is the most passionate resident of Jewett City that I know who wants to see the Lord do a powerful work here. And I know that my heart, along with his, was hoping that we'd be meeting this time next year right in the heart of Jewett City. And I don't know what's going to happen now. So we'll wait and see what happens in November, what the decision of the board is. But Seth, if you wouldn't mind, um, here's a microphone for you. Perfect. If, if you would just, uh, on behalf of our church, would you just cry out and say, Lord, you know our heart, and, and we're going to be subject to your direction.
there is a promise when we regard God's portion. And so, there is a portion within everything that God provides, there is a priority to that portion, there is a percentage to that portion, and there are promises that go to that portion. Now we go back to Proverbs. I just shared one of them. Do not consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Josh, that actually has absolutely nothing to do with money. How on earth is that a promise regarding regarding God's portion? So when we take a look at these powerful verses, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right path. Here comes the promise. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. How do we do that? How do we get to that place where we know that we are relying on the Lord's wisdom and not our own, that we are marching on his path, not on our path, and that we're on a path of healing for ourselves? Next verse. Did you even know that this verse was here following Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6? Look at the practical application and the power of the promise. What happens when you activate this? Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Who knew that being guided of the Lord, the practical application of having our heart firmly established on the Lord's path, relying on His wisdom and not our own, to activate the promise of well-being for us physically, the practical application has to do with our possessions. What? Why on earth does God, doesn't He just care about my heart? Yes. And the surest way to protect and to provide and to give confidence to our heart is to regard the Lord's portion. There's a portion, there's a priority, there's a percentage, and there's a promise. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, I don't want it to be that way. I don't like that there's such a practical application. Because that means now I've got to think how I deal with my money seriously, that I actually have to practice my faith through my finances and not just the fact that I do other things that I think do a better job representing my faith. Understanding that God's Word says our finances is the critical area of how we activate our faith regarding the Lord's protection and trust of our heart. He goes on. Because <laughs> he knows where our hearts are going to be. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. <laughs> but I want to. <laughs> I don't want to do what your word says regarding my finances. Don't despise the Lord's instruction, my son. And do not loathe his discipline. Do not loathe his direction. Do not loathe his redirection. I want to build next summer. You know how much time I put into that? You know the conversations I've had to put into that? You don't. A lot. These things don't happen by themselves. New buildings are not mushrooms. You just cover something over and make it moist and wet and it pops up. That's not how it actually happens. It's much easier to have a baby than it is to to raise a building. Let me just...
prove that a few times this year. We don't have nine billion. A lot of time and energy goes into this. Do not load his discipline, his direction, his redirection. For the Lord, what? Disciplines the one he loves, just as a father with a son who delights in We've got to listen to that, River Church. If these verses don't talk about where we're at right now, then I am not properly contextualizing this text. It obviously had a meaning when Solomon wrote it. We get that. And it's had a meaning for people ever since Solomon wrote it. But doggone, it feels pretty personal right now. We started making decisions of faith regarding our finances. We passed out pledge cards two weeks ago. We've got more pledge cards that I'm going to encourage you to fill out today if you didn't bring one back already. And what we're pledging to do is to identify what a tithe would look like for just one month and give it to the Lord. The amount doesn't matter. The decision of faith does. And just embracing that concept of River Church, we're already being disciplined. We're already being directed. We're already being redirected. It doesn't matter how much money we raise. It's how much faith is strengthened because we're already seeing fruit from those decisions or potential decisions. We haven't received one pledge card yet, to the best of my knowledge, but you've had a couple conversations. The Lord knows that, and we're already beginning to receive direction and redirection. It kind of feels like discipline because I got told no. Something I wanted, I don't get it now. That's how it's happening. That's what it feels like. I think the Lord is talking to River Church. I think the Lord is talking to me. And maybe the Lord is talking to you. Because when it comes to the matters of protecting our heart and having the assurance that we are exactly where we're supposed to be on the path that the Lord has for us, it has a lot to do with our decisions of faith regarding money. And that's what this text has to say. And that's exactly what we are beginning to experience as a church. There is a promise that the Lord will provide for us, that our barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine, and that we'll experience healing in our bodies and strengthening in our bones. There is a promise. The question is, what is our decision? Will we continue with our resolve to identify what a tithe looks like for us for just four weeks to then pledge and then follow through on that tithe and allow the Lord to be the Lord. I'm telling you right now, we're seeing first fruits from that decision. They're not the fruits we would have chosen, but there's no question that the Lord is directing us. And we can have great confidence in our hearts when the Lord is giving us direction. Um, I, Kevin, or someone in the back, I don't know if these pledge cards are running around, but if we could just kind of start slowly passing them out again. So you have them there with you. Maybe you already have them. I'm not trying to be a pain with it, but understand what these things represent. They represent a decision of faith. They represent a conversation. And what I'm telling you this morning is that your conversations are already bearing fruit. So let's not stop. Let's get more of the Lord's direction as we pledge ourselves to Him in our finances for just one month to activate His promises that our hearts will be assured that we are following His path. When all these little ones begin to begin to stand up and walk. It's so adorable as a parent because they have these fat, chubby little legs and it's almost like you can't even see their knees. You know, they've got these thunderous calves and these ponderous thighs and they begin pulling themselves up on different things, coffee tables and the gates and 
and even your hand when you reach out to them. And, and as a parent, when our children begin to do that, what is our natural response? It, it begins happening uh, for most of our children right around nine or ten months. If your last name is Renucci, it starts at six weeks. Perhaps it's, you know, I think Elias is driving now. Uh, yeah, he's, he's driving. He's, uh, what, just over a year now? Fourteen months? Yeah. So, for normal children, when they begin to take these first steps towards walking at nine to ten months, what do we do as parents? We give them more and more safe opportunities. We love to see the growth in this direction. We encourage it. We begin to do things in their life that are providing for their future that they're not even aware of. We begin to buy new kinds of toys that promote them jumping. We get them like Johnny Jump Ups, or we get them the little swing that hangs from the doorway. And when they first start to do it, their legs are so weak and flabby, it's just kind of flopping like a dead fish. But then after a few weeks, when they learn the joy of jumping, they're driving this thing where like we're worried about the trim in the door, that they're going to rip it down from their active bouncing. And we love to see this. And so we're doing things, we're buying things, we're creating opportunities for them to continue to strengthen their legs. And then, and then it gets, their legs get so strong that by the time they're 18 months old, we have to separate them from the true babies in the nursery. Because they will trample them. Visit our nursery. There's not one cage. There's two cages. One for the active fish, one for the flabby fish. That's how it actually works. By 18 months, their legs are skinny and strong. Because we have done things from month 9 through month 12, through month 18, to encourage growth in that direction. What do you think God is going to do to us as a church with our chubby little financial legs right now? He's already doing it. It's already happening. We haven't collected one dollar. We haven't even collected one pledge card. We've just been having conversations. What do you think the Lord's heart is for us as a church when we begin to, to ask the actual question, how do we restore faith into our finances? And what is that reflection of our recognizing God's portion? Remember, church, give it a few months, a year at the most. We're not going to have heavy little legs anymore financially because the Lord is going to continue to bless us as we are faithful to the tithe for one month. What do you think you're going to do in November? You don't see children, you don't see healthy children go backwards in their walking ability. Pulling up comes to jump, comes to walk, comes to run, comes to climbing. That's how it goes with healthy children. And folks, I know that we're healthy children because we haven't collected one pledge card, but the evidence of your decisions of faith and conversations of faith is coming as we are being directed through circumstances that we cannot control. This is exactly what walking by faith looks like. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. But in God's sovereignty, this is what it looks like. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Please be encouraged by a word from the Lord for us this morning. There is a promise. We are making our decisions. What do you think the Lord is going to do? He's going to continue to give us clear direction. I want to introduce a concept to you this morning that I want to talk a little bit about. 
And then I want to show you the most powerful verse in the Bible regarding debt, which is the most single greatest thing that we're scared about when it comes to pledging a tithe by faith before we do anything else with our finances. But first, let me introduce uh, very, very briefly what the Bible says about the three levels of biblical giving. There's three levels of giving that are recognized in this scripture. The first I've been talking about for a month now, tithing. That's the first level of biblical giving. If you're not tithing, the word of the Lord to you is start tithing. That's the word. Do something faithfully and begin to commit 10% of what the Lord has provided and regard it as the Lord's portion, prioritize it, give it back to Him, activate the promises of Scripture. We're clear on that. There are a number of families at River Church that know that. They have been the ones that have been nodding their heads and saying amen for a month now. Because when you preach about money, the saints of God who have been faithful for money, they get all excited because they know that their church is going to see God move powerfully, even as they have seen God move powerfully in their finances. What do those families do? What happens is, is as you begin to tithe, you begin to experience the blessing that we just read about in this text and in others, and now there's more room in your budget. And your heart begins to move towards generosity. You begin to see needs in your community, and your family, and your church that you can now do something about above and beyond the tithe. This is modeled the most clearly by King David when it came to building the temple. He was a man who obviously was well-resourced, but when it came to the temple, he gave vast amounts above and beyond what he had pledged to the Lord in the tithe to provide for his son Solomon to build the temple. The greatest example of biblical generosity regarding finances is King David and his faithfulness to the tithe, but then giving above and beyond the tithe because the Lord had blessed him he gave millions and millions and millions of dollars away in today's money to provide for the temple. The temple was a room about this size except for 30-foot ceilings, and it was coated with a layer of gold on the inside. I might be understating what David provided when, I, when I'm talking about generosity. And so for families who have experienced the power of the tithe, they're then able to have the blessing of being generous above and beyond the tithe like David did. Again, providing for the kingdom in powerful ways. There's a third level of giving that is modeled in the scripture because there are some families who have been faithful to the tithe who have been responding generously. So, for instance, a family that tithes, for instance, it's very common for them after a few years of tithing to have their heart moved to sponsor a child overseas. That is generous. Tithing is the floor of generosity. Giving 10% to the church is not generous. It's what is expected. It's what is clearly taught in Scripture. Generosity begins at 11%. And so many families will begin providing for a family overseas, providing for an education uh, for a child. I got to meet a young man yesterday who was born and raised in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the country that I flew into for four years. And he was tremendously encouraged and thanked me time and again for my service to his people his education was paid for by a North American family who had been tithing for many years, but had now been generous and was able to pour into this young man's life. That's generosity. Modeled by King David, practiced by many today. The third and final level of giving that we see in the biblical text is sacrificial giving. Families who have been tithing, there's now margin in their budget to do things that are generous, that don't really impact. David never missed a meal. You know, David never missed anything. He still got to live in the palace and all the things that came along with being a king. Families who are generous are not taking things from their family. They are providing from the abundance that the Lord has given them because of their faithfulness and tithing. 
Those who give sacrificially are now making a decision to deny them some, deny themselves something that they could use for their own purposes and give it to the kingdom. So there are some families who are faithful and tithing. There are some families who have the blessing of being generous, and there are some families who have the blessing of being sacrificial. Uh, now they're actually taking of their resources above and beyond generosity and giving them to the kingdom in some way, in a way that is going to cost them. They could have done something, but now they're doing something else because of the Lord's clear call. The greatest example of sacrificial giving in the Bible is the widow of Mary. Once upon a time, an old lady came to the temple with two little pieces of money, and Jesus and his disciples were watching the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day drop vast quantities of money into the temple offering box, and this woman gave two little pieces of money representing all the money she had. Who is going to eat that day? The Lord's people. And I tell you truly, truly that she gave more than all of the previous contributions because they gave from the surplus of their wealth and she gave from her subsistence. Sacrificial gift. So when it comes to these pledge cards, some of us are going to identify what a tithe would look like for us. If we're not giving anything to River Church, then it's a very easy number. Whatever our paychecks are for the month of October, multiply it times 0.1, put that amount on the card, and pray your guts out that the Lord provided for you as you pledge to give it next month. For some of us who are giving something, praise the Lord, if you've been faithful, subtract that amount from the 0.1 number and pledge the difference. I think I've talked about this math before, but I think you know what I mean. And that might mean a car payment for some people, right? Uh, and, and I could run through specific numbers, but sometimes that's more of a hindrance than a help. But I think you're able to have that conversation and figure that out. Pledge that number. And then do your best to provide it and see what the Lord does. That is a tithe. For some of us who are already doing that, we're going to pledge a number that starts with as generous, that comes from the surplus, because the Lord has blessed us. And for others, we're going to make a sacrificial decision. We're going to decide to de- deny ourselves something so that we can do something for the kingdom of God and watch what the Lord does with it. And that is going to be our pledge. So as we move through the month, or wrap up the month of September and move into October, that is how we are going to put our faith to work. That is how we are going to trust in the path of the Lord and in His wisdom and do something that many of our friends and co-workers and family might consider foolish, but we are going to rely on the Lord's wisdom for one month and allow Him to, to, to restore faith into our finances. There is a promise regarding God's portion. We are in the process of making decisions of faith, and we can prove it because we're already receiving the Lord's direction. And there are three levels of biblical giving, and your family knows best which level is for you and what that pledge should be. There's no name on that card. I don't actually care or need to know. I'm already seeing evidence of the decisions being made. It's about faith, not finances. I know that sounds crazy, but watch and see what the Lord does with a church that begins to honor him in this way by being obedient to his word. Most powerful passage in the Old Testament regarding finances. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. I am aware of what the time is and the ensuing riot that is happening in children's programming as I speak. Chubby legs are getting thinned out right now. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Listen to the heart of the Lord regarding our finances. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. 
give me your heart and I will give you mine. Right? That's what's happening here. But you ask, how can we return? Great question. Where does the Lord direct the conversation? It could be anything right now. It could be anything right now. Go and make an offering. Go and make a sacrifice. Go and make a vow. Go and make a pledge. He, he could say anything right now to say, that's how I know that your heart is returning to me. He could say anything. This is where the text is going. What does he say? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. What? It's my portion for my kingdom. I gave it to you to manage, not to consume. Stop robbing me. You want to say your heart is with me? This is that my heart will return to you? Give me back what I gave to my kingdom. Stop eating my portion. Don't consume it. Manage it. How, how do we rob you? By not making the payment of the tenth and the contribution. What? But I don't want to be obedient to the Lord. Yeah, I get it. You are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing you. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. There's one time in Scripture where God says, test me. Try me. Watch what happens. No other area does he ever say that. In fact, it's sinful to do so. In this way, he says to test me. Here's the promise. See if I do not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Josh, that's great, but I am drowning in debt. I have student loans. I have car loans. I have a note on the house. Um, I've got young ones that are going to want to drive at some time in the future. I've got college that's staring me down the throat. I've got uh, short-term credit card debt from the last vacation that we took, and Christmas is coming. Okay? A lot of us are there. I get it. A lot of us are there. The number of us that are living debt-free, with the exception of carrying a note on our house, as opposed to the number of us who are carrying some short-term consumer debt, is a big difference, right? Now, I don't need to see a show of hands. I can tell you right now, I could probably count on one hand the number of us who are living without any kind of consumer debt at all without a house mortgage. Okay? So that, that's very real for us right now when we consider returning the Lord's portion to Him and His kingdom. What am I supposed to do with my debt? I get it, floodgates, pouring out resources, health to my bones, overflowing vats with wine, that sounds interesting, and all this other stuff. Perfect, I get it. But I have actual bills that I have to pay because people are coming for the stuff that I still owe money for if I don't give them money to stay away. The Bible says two things about uh, debt. Well, it says a lot about debt, but specifically, it says that debt is a master and we are the slave. When it comes to slavery in the Bible, the Bible says two things about slavery. Number one, serve well. If you are a slave, serve well. If you have debt, make as many payments as you can. The second thing that the Bible says about slavery, stop being a slave. Get out from underneath it if you can. Paul talks to actual slaves in the first century church, and he says, number one, serve your master as if you would serve the Lord. And if you can be free, get free. Two things regarding debt. Debt is slavery. Specifically, serve your master well. Make your car payments, right? And then get out from underneath that debt as fast as humanly possible so that you can be free. That's what the Bible says about debt. And then, this because there's a promise regarding debt in this passage. Keep continuing. 
See you will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Be obedient and experience the blessing. Specifically, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Watch what the Lord does to the money that you have when you return his portion to him. It's as if you begin getting bonus money. The devourer, the things that suck our resources, begin to be defeated by the Lord when we move in obedience in this way. It's time for an illustration of faithfulness and what this looks like in an actual family that you already know and love. Kevin and Jen, would you come up at this time and share your testimony? And then we'll be wrapping up our time today. When we were getting ready for this, one of the things that stuck out at me the most when I was writing this, um, Dave Ramsey says 80% of our money problems is behavior, 20% is head knowledge. So this is the story in that, in the end, money problems are a heart problem, not a math problem. So this is the story of how we fix our heart problems. Um, about eight years into our marriage, we sat at our dining room table and we're looking at the results of a compatibility survey. It showed the only thing that kept our marriage together was our faith. It was a hard pill to swallow, even though deep down we knew it was correct. Let me re- rewind a little bit. We were already $21,000 in debt due to attorney fees. You see, back in 2000, I, tre- I committed a crime. And in 2005, he learned we were gonna, that I was going to be charged with a misdemeanor. We were... Pregnant with Connor when we learned this was going to happen, and we had been married for two years. Our HELOC, or second mortgage, became our bank for covering legal fees. And the day after I pled guilty to that misdemeanor, I lost my job. Now we're back to the dining room table. We brainstormed ways to cut our budgets because now I was staying at home for the second time, and we only had Kevin's income. But we kept living the dual income lifestyle with credit cards filling the gaps in our emergencies. When it came to giving at church, we gave faithfully until we were looking at our checkbook and realized we couldn't, so we gave what we could when we could. Finally, after about 13 years of marriage, living paycheck to paycheck, and too many money fights to count, we were sick and tired of being sick and tired. You see, I'm a 100% free spender. Money burns a hole in my pocket. Before we were married, I'm that person that never balanced a checkbook and went to the ATM and thought I was okay. It's really no shock to anybody that Kevin is really the opposite. Um, and he likes to budget and balances the checkbook to the pen. So finally, in the spring of 2016, I agreed to attend Financial Peace University. Still, I find it hard to believe and couldn't comprehend how we were going to have to pay for a class that was going to get us out of debt when we were wondering how we were even paying bills. But we went. So before we started this class, we owed $27,000 on our two cards and $28,000 on two credit cards. After our third class, we were doing our first budget together, and Kevin broke down in tears. I didn't know what to do, and he said he knew that if we didn't get it right, that this would cause our marriage to always go through the crazy cycle. 
In fact, in the FPU class, Dave provides the statistic that the number one cause of divorce in America is financial issues. The Thursday before my final class, I was offered a job doubling my take-home pay. You can't tell us that wasn't a God thing. Not only did God bless our faithfulness, but he was also preparing us for something we didn't see coming. In the middle of paying off our debt, Kevin was laid off from his job. Five months before this, we decided to switch from Kevin carrying the health benefits to me carrying them, meaning we had one less thing to digest, process, and think about after they arrived. So after I got laid off two and a half years ago, we truly had peace during this time because we knew God had a plan. Within two months of the layoff, I landed a job with a 30% increase in salary, a commute that was half the distance in time, and was able to work from home three days a week. Because I had been at my previous company for more than eight years, I received a nice severance. It was two weeks per year, so it was 16 weeks. Unfortunately, they paid in a lump sum, so Caesar took half of that. Um, with, with me landing the job so quickly, I was able to take 10% of the severance and write out a check to the building fund. And when we gave it to uh, Josh and Trish, I, you know, I, we handed them the check and we said, we hope this helps. And we just asked, we said, well, so how much is in it? And he said basically the amount of the check that we gave him. <laughs> so uh, that was one thing we decided to do that was generous. Um, and Josh talked about sponsoring children. We actually have Connor and Sydney's each sponsor a child overseas. So that's the generous giving that we're doing beyond the tithing that we do. One of the things we didn't write down that hit me as Josh was talking is that after we went through this period and I got my new job, we were able to more than double our time. So every year since, we take 10% out of my bonus or our tax refund if we get one, and we write a check out to the church for the building fund. So how much debt did we manage to pay off? We paid off $55,000 in less than two years. The cars and the credit cards gone in about 20 months. We got serious. As Dave says, it's called the gazelle intensity. In the jungle, when the cheetah's chasing the gazelle, the gazelle has one thing in mind, just survive, just live, live to fight another day. So once we ate, were debt-free, we did FP Junior with Connor and Sydney, and since then they have begun to tithe off their commissions that we pay them for the chores that they do around the house. And a blessing that Connor's received is a few months ago, as mowing season started, neighbor that we have behind us, they have a house in Rhode Island on a lake during the summer, and they're never home. So the gentleman's not able to mow his part of his lawn often. So he knocked, and he noticed Connor was mowing the lawn now, because it's the first year Connor started mowing our lawn. And he asked if Connor could do that portion of the lawn, and he'd pay him 30 bucks every time he did it. So their faithfulness has paid off in Connor getting a job. So, when you hear people say, it's a good thing, it's a God thing, we truly believe in God's word. Whoever is faithful with very little is also faithful in much. Luke 16, 10. And Jen has one last thing to say. The $100 was really the best money we've ever spent. regarding finances, and it's found in Matthew chapter 6. Because the overarching theme of this morning's message when we're talking about finances 
is placing our heart on a path that we know that the Lord is directing and blessing and experiencing the benefits of doing that. And you'll find that reflected in this teaching of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. Don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. The summary teaching of Jesus regarding our finances, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm going to wrap up our time together this morning. Then you can join us. John, that was awesome. You leveraged everything this morning to lead us in worship and sing. Thank you so much for being brave and bold and leading us in that way under Vince's leadership. Thank you. And for thank you for your decision to save in John, because even that thinks you don't know what's going to happen. You give him a microphone and a guitar? I wouldn't have done that. I stuck him in a parking lot last weekend. <laughs> it's... <laughs> So I want to encourage you. We all want to have confidence that our heart is on a path of faith, that the Lord is directing us. And every time you turn to a scripture where that is the prayer of the author that we find in the Bible, the conversation becomes one about money. And we may fight against it. We may rebel against it. We may not want to hear that. But we cannot deny that the link between our finances and our faith is clear and strong, recognized by Jesus, and as you heard this morning, is a path to great blessing and confidence, not just in our finances, but also in the most critical and important relationships. And so this morning, by way of conclusion, don't be distracted about the money. As I said at the beginning, it's, it's not money is the second thing that we're most worried about. We're more worried about decisions of faith. So this morning, be encouraged that your decisions of faith have a practical application, something that you can actually do. And of course, the most important decision of faith is to lean not on your own understanding, but to commit your way to the Lord, because then He will direct your path. And that path is by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that, of course, is where we want to always be getting at our time together this morning as we commit ourselves to the Lord. Have a conversation of faith. We're going to be directed and redirected, and I'll keep you updated. It's very, very exciting. Because we have a commitment, as Seth prayed for us this morning, to proclaim the gospel in every place that the Lord provides. And, 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 and we will be faithful to that as He directs us. Would you join me as I conclude our time together this morning in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we find there. Thank you for the way that you are moving in the hearts and minds of the people who call River Church their home. And Father, we pray that you would add the blessing to the teaching and the obedience of your word. I pray that we would have conversations of faith, that we would continue to receive your direction and redirection, that we would follow through in obedience in the month of October, and that we would poise ourselves in the month of November to continue by faith as you 